We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato. Tonight, Nick, before the show, all day today, I was wearing a green South Putin Field Club shirt. And because of all the haters in the comments, not the haters, the jokesters in the comments, but always comment when I wear a green shirt that I'm an Eagles fan or whatever. I had to change my shirt just to make sure I wasn't wearing anything green. So I brought on gray. I was blue. Giants blue last night. It didn't work out. So I felt like I had to switch it up, Nick. But So you went with Cowboys gray? Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I mean, Cowboys are more silver to me than gray, I would say. But it's not a great look. And neither was last night. And neither was the game tape on the New York football Giants from the 2023 week one debut. And that's what we're going over tonight. We're doing an offensive film breakdown. Things are going to be a little bit different than they were last year for this podcast. We won't no longer be for a multitude of reasons, mostly because the NFL won't let us. We will no longer be putting the entire game of all 22 up on here and breaking down play by play. What we do plan to do this year is talk more overall concepts, talk about the coaching in each game, talk about the execution and the personnel in each game. And we're also going to break down certain plays. So there will still be film on this for those of you watching on YouTube, or if you're listening on a podcast and want to go check this out on, on film, go over, head over to our YouTube, subscribe, like the videos, like the page, and then watch the videos. There will still be play, play, uh, play breakdowns on here. We're going to highlight a specific amount of plays and we're going to go over them. We're also going to talk individual players. I know a lot of you have actually said to me, you like the old format better. I've had, Probably last year I had 20 different people reach out to me because, quite frankly, you don't have time to watch on YouTube and you want to listen on your podcast while you're driving. And I agree. Last year's version of the film was not a very listenable type of thing. It was more watchable type of thing. Well, the goal for this one is to be listenable and watchable at the same time. So without further ado, Nick, I wanted to get that preamble in to, to set the stage. How are you doing today? And uh, where do you want to start? <laughs> I woke up early to watch this all 22. And I got to say, we'll go over the first drive because I found the first drive to be very interesting, not just because it was the only respectable football the New York Giants offense put out there on film, but you could see the chess match between the Giants and Dan Quinn and that defense. And the Giants were winning it for much of it. And then that cascading effect that we discussed on yesterday's podcast really struck the Giants when it was third and two and Andrew Thomas committed a false start that led to a bad snap that led to a blocked field goal for a touchdown. But before that, there were several interesting wrinkles and plays that I felt like Daniel Jones was making with his legs and his decision making to put to to force Dan Quinn into a position to 
maybe say, hey, maybe I shouldn't twist and stunt so often. Because you know Dan Quinn went into this game saying, we don't even need to blitz that much. They did a little bit. They didn't need to blitz that much because they can win with four. We just right. run stunts and twists and gap exchange. And the New York Giants are not going to be able to pick it up. And guess what? Dan Quinn was 100% right when he thought that because the Giants specifically on the right side of the line of scrimmage couldn't pick any of those up. One way you make teams pay is you run the football when they decide to do that. And the Giants were doing that early on and they were having success. Yeah, you nailed that. And we're going to go over the first drive. And I think just from the overall coaching perspective, I would say that on second glance and by second glance, I mean, after watching the tape, I was less distraught about the Giants coaching in this game than I was when I watched it on broadcast. I feel like they had a good plan going into this game and it got derailed by them falling behind so fast. The second drive, which we will talk a little bit about, I didn't like. They went a little too pass happy. We talked about that last night as well. But overall, I felt like there was a good counter to what they were doing. This, to me, was a game. And honestly, in a lot of ways, I thought there were some really good route combinations. There were four or five plays circled, some of which we're about to go over, where the Giants got open, but the pressure disallowed the play from happening. And some of these were big plays. Some of these were first downs. One of the plays was the first down play deep in, not deep in the game, like deep into the first quarter, down 15, nothing, a big play where it ended up being Daniel Jones rolling out of the pocket and throwing that interception when he threw across his body. But there was an open receiver right away off that snap, but the pressure forced Daniel Jones to scramble out of there and miss the play. So overall, I thought the coaching was a little better on film from a, from a route combination standpoint. Execution obviously wasn't there, Nick, but I did think it was an interesting battle just from the chess match standpoint of, you're right. The Cowboys came out in this one very aggressive to the point where it almost reminded me a lot of what the Eagles did to the Giants when they blew them out in the divisional card round game. And we talked about our fears of this in the offseason. Will teams just use that blueprint? The blueprint of don't pay any respect to the deep half of the field, push everyone up on the line of scrimmage, don't always blitz, but run blitz sometimes, send guys moving forward, crash gaps, and simply put your corners and your defensive backs and your second-level players so close to the line of scrimmage, like closer than you see any team on red zone on Sunday. It was kind of disrespectful and interesting. I also thought there were moments that were interesting and disrespectful as well, where the Cowboys had those corners sitting down on routes and not paying attention and leaving, again, wide-open areas of the field open on the sideline because they knew from the past film that they've observed of this Giants offense under Dave Kafka, the ball wasn't going to get thrown there or there wasn't going to be enough time to throw the ball there. Yes. So I felt like it was a chess match. I would say Dan Quinn won this chess match, but he had a major advantage. So I qualify it because he had the personnel advantage in this game, without a doubt. When you have Glowinski and Neal going against anyone, and we'll sh show some reps later, man, but there was a either late second or third quarter rep. No, it was a late second quarter rep in the red zone. Giants had a little momentum going where Evan Neal just blows the block immediately against Dorrance Armstrong. Like, you cannot be getting killed against Dorrance Armstrong. And we'll talk more about Neal as well and some individual players, but I just felt like it was really interesting to watch because, like you said, the plan was great by the Giants to start. It was, okay, they want to be this aggressive with their stunts and games up front, and they want to be this aggressive of a defense. Fine, we'll run on them because that's how you beat their aggression. But once they fell behind, obviously that you know went wayside. And not just beat it, you slow it down. And that's going to allow you to pass and take some of those shots that you know the Giants wanted to take to Darius Slayton and to Jalen Hyatt. But everything went wrong in the sense that a blocked field goal went back for a touchdown. And then they got another field goal. And then the Giants threw a pick six. And next thing you know, you're down 16 nothing, And the Cowboys know you have to pass the football. Running the football is not going to do you a lot of good if you want this to be a competitive game. And that's the worst situation an offense can find themselves in against the Dallas Cowboys, Dan, because they have Micah Parsons. They have Lawrence Armstrong, who looked really good out there on film. They have Demarcus Lawrence. Giants just cannot overcome that. And I'll say one other thing. You brought up the first play on the second drive. and. 
how we wanted the Giants to maybe stick with the run a little bit more. It was an RPO play. And Daniel Jones decided to pass the football. And I think Daniel Bellinger might have made a mistake, not to call our guy out here, but it seemed like just based off the alignment, he was tasked to chip that end man on the line of scrimmage. And he did not chip the end man on the line of scrimmage. And the guy basically ran in right at Daniel Jones, who didn't hand the football off because all the linebackers also pinched up towards the run. I'm not putting it all on Daniel Bellinger, obviously, but it just seemed like there were a lot of plays where one person might have not done exactly what they were tasked to maybe didn't live fully up to their assignment or their responsibility. And that ended up just murdering the Giants. It just so happens that that happened on plenty of plays. Yeah, it happened so often. And it was like, that was one of the big themes for me in the film review. We want to talk about some themes for me. It was the game of insane number of missed opportunities for the Giants. I discussed it a little bit just earlier, but there was a route, the, the route I was talking about, that Dorrance Armstrong pressure. Paris Campbell was open on that route, if I'm remembering correctly. And he was open, and it could have been a big game because the Cowboys had a little bit of a busted coverage. It was an interesting play designed by the Giants where Campbell kind of sold like he was just stopping as he moved inside, broke back on the out. And he had space, man. If he catches that and turns up field, I think it's a touchdown despite it being second and 15. Or this might have been after that sack where Dorrance Armstrong gave off the pressure. But again, it was another pressure. And it just felt to me like watching the film when I looked at the all-22 version from the end zone angle, Nick, versus the sideline angle, the side Sideline angle, there were open receivers at times, sometimes really good busts, really good pick plays, really good outs where the where the intended receiver had four or five set yards of separation and could have turned it upfield. But on every single one of them from the end zone angle, Nick, the right side of the line was blowing the protection. Mark Lewinsky was an absolute disaster in this game. It's to the point where I think like if things don't change fast there, he needs to be benched. Evan Neal was somehow even worse. Evan Neal, man. This was the worst than his Cowboys game last year, in my opinion. This was the worst game of film he's ever put on paper. I know he said last year, he said in the offseason, like, I went back and that was a tough moment for me, that Cowboys game. I don't know then what he's going to do about this one, man, because this one was an even tougher moment, dude. And I, like, don't know what can, like, I'm very worried right now about Evan Neal after watching him on tape because he's insanely slow out of his stance. He looks just totally lost out there. He lo loses in a variety of ways, but there was one rep I'm trying to remember which one. I think it might have been that red zone rep I was talking about against Armstrong, where he literally just lost with a speed rush around the edge, where he didn't even get his hand on the dude. And this is Dorrance Armstrong we're talking about, right? Like, you can't be losing just helpless speed rushes around the edge where you don't even do anything to get in the way of the guy. And the play is totally blown up. And DJ, every time he hit his back foot, it felt like to me he had to either move up in the pocket to avoid something or move outside the pocket. And so like, yes, there are some concerning plays you can maybe point to from Daniel Jones at some points of this game. I personally don't think that Hyatt play was a drop. I consider that a bad ball across the middle that should have been played in front of Hyatt. And of course, we've seen that happen before on the horizontal plays. But those are so few and far between. Most of this game was just pressure against Daniel Jones consistently and really, really bad play from their starting right guard and right tackle. Nick, I would say this. I didn't watch every game. I've watched a few for beyond the box score at CBS. I can't imagine there was a worse right tackle, right guard combination week one than what the Giants had, and that shouldn't be the case. There are teams on paper that have much worse starters than Evan Neal and Mark Lewinsky on their right side. 100%. I mean, Mark Lewinsky, according to Pro Football Focus, surrendered three sacks, nine pressures. Evan Neal, one sack, eight pressures. Evan Neal was 59th out of 16. pressures combined. I'm sorry. Yeah, that no. is insane. Evan Neal was 59th out of 60 offensive tackles. I think in terms of pass block win rate for whatever that's worth, but it, it could be irrelevant. It doesn't matter. We watched the tape, everybody. It doesn't even matter if you have all 22, you saw Evan Neal, Evan Neal to me 
looks just as bad as he did last year. There was nothing different in this game. He looks just as slow. There's a lack of twitch and explosiveness. If anybody gives him just a hard jab, jab step, he's going to open his hips and just give the inside alley. And he does not have the redirection skills or the balance to redirect his weight and then just shove that guy into the offensive guard. And then that's not even mentioning the twist game. None of those guys knew how to pass off a twist. I want to tip my cap to Dallas because those were some very well-executed twists. They were. Optimal twists. And then I watched the Giants run their twists, and we'll talk about it on the defensive podcast, and I'm like, it's not even comparable. Maybe it's just because Micah Parsons is typically involved in those twists, but it just seemed like everything Dallas was doing up front was so crisp, and the Giants just did not have any answers. Why blitz? Why allocate six guys to rush Daniel Jones when you're going to get pressure with four by the time he hits his back foot? Daniel Jones really did not have any time to do anything. And we'll go over Daniel Jones. Look, he he did not have a perfect game. I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that there were a couple throws that he should have gotten rid of the football. There was one where Saquon Barkley ran. It was, I think, out of a stack. He might have motioned Saquon Barkley to the flat. Saquon Barkley's in the flat, and Daniel Jones decided to keep the football, not throw it, try to extend the play. And then they picked up maybe like three yards instead of getting maybe six or seven yards. It could be a big difference with that specific type of play that Daniel Jones isn't pulling the trigger on. But you can't lay this game at Daniel Jones's feet. You can't. The kid had no shot with that offensive line. And it's just maddening, Dan, that we're still sitting here in 2023 talking about how the Giants can't protect this freaking kid. We've been talking about it since 2019. And I'll say this too. This is 2023 week one with all of the investments that the New York Giants have made on the offensive line. What I saw last night was worse than the New York Giants in 2021 when they had who Wes Martin and all of these guys like this 2023 Giants team right now. And I don't think they're that bad on the offensive line, but that was hard to watch, bro. That was very difficult. And again, situation, the context, the fact that the Giants fell down 19 to nothing definitely played into that and allowed the Dallas Cowboys to pin their ears back. But holy crap, dude, you have San Francisco coming up in a few short weeks. You got a lot of pass rushers on this schedule. They can't figure this out. It's going to be one damn long season. They're going to need to figure out like immediately that they need to go to a run heavy game plan that really limits the true pass sets. It's going to be very reminiscent, in my opinion, Nick, if they do it right, quote unquote, right. it's, It's right by their situation. It's not right by winning, but it's the best they can do to that season where they had all those injuries. And Jones was like playing through an injury, the Cardinals game, the, the, the Ravens game where they just had to hurt that member which one was it? The Washington game from that year where they, where everyone's like, Oh my God, look, Andrew Thomas shut down chase young. It's like, eh, he had like two true pass sets the entire game. If not zero, <laughs> that's how little the giants threw drop back to throw that game. Yet sadly that might have to come again. The two things that just scare me are just the Glowinski and Neil situation. I mean, Glowinski, man, I've never seen someone worse when it comes to picking up stunts at that position. And that includes Will Hernandez, who was horrible at it, and other Giants from the past. There's times where it feels like he's just sitting there and he has no power to get his hands up on the guy. Like, where Parsons just, like, bursting through him and he has zero power to put his hands on him. That's crazy to me. I talked about the time Evan Neal just got beat with a speed rush around Dorrance Armstrong. I mean, he's getting beat in a variety of ways. How about the time when Demarcus Lawrence just pancaked his ass with a power bull rush right onto the ground? I mean, that's insane. Demarcus Lawrence is whatever he is, and he's a powerful player. And I guess you have the leverage battle. You win the leverage battle there. But Evan Neal is a six foot six, three hundred forty pound man in good shape. Like you should not be getting pancaked and put on the ground by Demarcus Lawrence with a bull rush. He's losing the bull rushes. He's losing the speed rushes. He can't pass off these twists and stunts up front. This is bad stuff going on from Evan Neal. Like scary bad stuff. And like we hoped it was going to improve. It felt like it was somewhat better down the stretch. This is like a regression to like 
early uh, rookie season, Evan Neal. I don't know if it's a bright light. I don't know if it was a wet surface. I don't know what it was. But, man, oh, man, it was scary on the right side of the Giants all line. A lot of us were talking about how Evan Neal might have struggled last year because of the injury. And maybe that hindered his development a little bit. But he went into this relatively healthy, to the yes. best of my knowledge. And this was the worst game that I've seen from him. That includes both that well, one Dallas game because he didn't play in the second Dallas game. That includes that one in week three. It was it was tough to watch, man. He needs to get better. We said it all offseason. If Evan Neal is the Evan Neal from 2022, the Giants are screwed. You need to get better with this schedule. And I think we just saw that in week one. Yeah, and we'll go over a little bit more later on the O-line. But there were, you know, there were some good moments and bad moments, I thought, from John Michael Schmitz. There was a first and 10 play that went for negative two where John Michael Schmitz really got destroyed on that block on a run play. I'll bring, I could bring that up a little bit later. And that one was scary, too, because Andrew Thomas got put to the ground on that play. He got up, and you could just tell he, he, he jump hop limped on that freaking yeah. answering man. It's just like, why is this dude out there? It was like 33 to nothing. The first drive of the third quarter. And my dude is getting piled onto the ground. It might've been the first or second drive. He's getting up. He's hot limping. And he came out for at least another series, maybe two after that, just an insane call. I mean, one thing that I noticed on tape, Nick, and this is something I just tweeted out more recently. I can't remember a game all of last season on film where Andrew Thomas was on the ground more than this game. If you don't tell him, if you think that doesn't have to do with the fact that he was playing hurt, you can think that I don't, I don't, if he's on the ground more in this game than he ever has been. And that was in the past game and the run game. There was a run play. And I saw him get put to the ground. He never gets put to the ground. There was the pass play where he got back up. It looked like he was hurt. I mean, that never happens for Andrew Thomas. He was never on the ground at all last year. He was hurt. They put him in hurt. I don't know if that's who that's on. It's on the medical staff. It's on him pushing through too much. I don't care. Someone has to be smart enough to come down from the top and say, this can't go down. And we're going to show a play uh, soon that I put on Twitter earlier. At some point, we're going to show this play where you can just tell. And it was early in the game after the interception uh, return for a touchdown. Andrew Thomas tried to run to make that tackle before it was returned for a touchdown. He's doing his best. He's going out there and he just collapses to the ground. That literally should have been the moment he never plays another snap. You don't want to get Jones killed? Fine. F it. Run the damn ball. Figure out ways to run the ball. Shorten the game. It's over. Stop playing for this game. We don't need injuries. And watching Andrew Thomas out there, man. That was something I didn't like to see on tape because there were multiple times where he got up off that ground and he's never on the ground again in 2022. Very rarely was he on the ground and he didn't look right. And that just sucks to see. And we'll find out the results of this hamstring injury at some point. But again, this was this is the thing that lingers in my mind, Nick, because one day later, 24 hours later, one sleep later, I still cannot make sense of why Andrew Thomas played that many snaps and why Daniel Jones played that many snaps. Something could have happened to Daniel Jones, too. Dude, Dallas had 39 pressures. In this game, 39. That's more than the Giants had in both of the matchups against them. And that's with Kayvon Thibodeau having nine pressures in that second matchup on Thanksgiving. Wow. Talk about just under duress from the start to the finish. And whatever you want, we can jump into this first drive. But we're going to go over that. We're going to go over the two interceptions, go over a couple other plays as well. And then we're going to look and dive back into the rant that Dan just kind of went on with Evan Neal and Mark Lewinsky, because the right side of the line, ladies and gentlemen, like I think the Giants are going to investigate putting in Marcus McKethan, which sound, might sound crazy to some people, but you did draft them. The Giants seem high on them. How can you be any worse than Mark Lewinsky? That, that's what I'm, I'm going to ask from a pass protection standpoint. I understand he does some good things as a run blocker, but from the pass protection standpoint, which is the crucial part of playing offensive line, how can you be any worse? There is no continuity on the right side of the Giants offensive line. And as for John Michael Schmitz, you brought him up. I would say he was an adequate start. There were he was on the ground a little bit too much for my liking. He um 
got manhandled on a couple plays by Mozzie Smith, who like threw him to the ground. And I'm like, oh man, I hate to see that. But there were also some really good plays of him picking up twists, yeah. like really athletic plays where he's engaged with a, a two eye who, who shades into him. And then somebody else is looping around and boom, it's just like he clicks, clicks and closes his hips and he's attached to the guy, his precision with his hands to get his hands underneath the breastplate and his hips oriented to his target. Very impressive. So I appreciated that, but overall I, I want to see him be a little bit stronger and not get bullied because there were a couple plays where it didn't look that great. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. There was a couple plays. One I want to highlight that I really liked, I believe. And I'm not sure where it is in my notes from the first drive. Uh, let me just see if I can find it where he he made a nice block and then he came off the double team and then picked up the second level defender and sealed him off. Or I think it was a might have been the breeder run for seven yards or one of the Barkley sevens on the first drive. Maybe we'll see it when we go over it. But I just thought he did a really good job of moving there. And I feel like what the key thing here that I like about what I see from JMS is from some of the Giants interior offensive linemen in the past, I feel like they were like boxy movers, especially Will Hernandez. They just didn't look fluid in in move when moving and trying to, you know, climb to that second level. JMS definitely looked fluid in that regard. The, the core strength issues that you're talking about and, and the balance issues like falling on the ground, that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. And, and we'll see what happens there. I mean, Mozzie Smith, as we as we discussed, is a massive, massive athlete and a first round pick for them as well. I think that was an excellent point right there. You're right. He has no boxy type of movements. Like he shoots out of his stance. You could tell there's some twitch. There's agility to a player like John Michael Schmitz, which to me, it doesn't seem like the Giants have really necessarily had that a guard other than Josh Azudu, who has his own issues with framing blocks and in pass protection. Yeah. The interior hasn't really had that. Um, and so the crazy thing though, is when you discuss that, I like think about in my head, I'm like, does Evan Neal have that twitch and that natural? No, but why did we not see this at Alabama? It's like crazy to me. The player he is now versus the player he was on. Tape I think he's going up against. He's just going up against real NFL speed. Yeah. And when it when it's when you contrast it next to a player like Micah Parsons, who's elite, and then even a very good SEC defender, you could see it because. At Alabama, man, like we had issues with his balance and we felt like people could get underneath him, lift him up and toss him to the ground. And we were like, that's something that we can worry about. But everything else about his game, he was in position a lot. I actually really appreciate I, I really appreciate how he used his hands. Like he varied his punches and his deployment of his punches. He would use a bunch of different techniques to get defenders to commit. And then he would fall on top of them and trap them, snatch and trap. And he had a bunch of different moves. It felt like, and I hate to just rely on this because it does sound like lazy analysis, but there was an air of confidence about him that, was evident throughout his college tape. There's no confidence in his and tape. It could right be now. that, honestly, dude. It could literally just be a confidence issue at this point because I the main thing you said there that I agree with on the Bama tape, he was in position a lot. It feels like now he's almost never in position. How do you go from being in position a lot to almost never in position? It's insane. And I really thought it would be an Orlando Brown Jr. type factor with him when he hit the NFL. Just like he's too the, just watching him on film and remembering watching Orlando Brown Jr. I'm like, this is gonna work. This is how it is when you're that long and that big and in position that often on film in college it's just hard to get around but that just simply hasn't been the case he needs to play within the framework of his body and we've said that yep. so many times but how many times on tape and we'll go over some of them he's lunging outside and his feet aren't coming with him his feet are staying behind and he's lunging outside it's giving people inside angles there's no power behind the punch once he lunges to the outside if he could do a better job protecting his inside it would it would assist his development a lot right but at the same right. time he's losing on outside, like rip moves, speed rushes. This guy is super long and super big. Yeah. He should have that Orlando Brown effect. He should have that. I'm going to push him out of the pocket. Daniel Jones, you step up. You know, you have a nice right. time. But they doesn't even have that because the angles that he takes and the, and the way he opens his hip, they're so bad, bro. 
that's it. You just nailed it right there, dude. The angles that he takes coming out of his stance and the way he opens his hips. It's like he he it's like he takes what should be a massive width wingspan width and turns it into this. He narrows his own point of attack. It's crazy. Like, I don't know how he got into that habit or if that's just how it always was. And it looked different against SEC defenders, which could be the case. Like, even like a Dorrance Armstrong who's crushing him on a speed rush. It's like, that's probably better than what most of you see at the SEC level, especially, you know, you play Vanderbilt and shit like that. But, um, excuse my language. Sorry about that. We'll keep that one in. But, uh, <laughs> but hopefully it doesn't get caught or flagged. But, you know, it, it, it's just crazy, Nick. Let's get into some of the tape, though, because we're 23 minutes in. We did promise film. For those of you watching on YouTube, you will get film. Obviously, we're going to break down First of all, this first drive, and we'll talk about this as well. This was the drive where the Giants did get things going. So, Nick, let's start at the top here with this first down play. Yeah, let's see it. This is the first play of the 2023 season for the New York football Giants. And I like how the Giants are in this split back shotgun look with Daniel Bellinger to the right of Daniel Jones, the boundary side. And they're going to come out. They're going to run an orbit motion with Paris Campbell. It's going to remove Trayvon Diggs from this area. And it's going to allow the Giants to have one less defender to worry about on the counter run. So I really appreciate this play call because it is smart, right? You use the man coverage team, man heavy. You're going to use this motion. You're going to bring homeboy around like this. And then I'm probably not going to draw too much because I am a little bit new to it and it might slow us down, but let me know if you guys want me to work on that. And I will, but we could see how Paris Campbell removes Trayvon Diggs. It's going to be a counter handoff where the backside guard pulls. And then Daniel Bellinger goes right into the gap to take the most dangerous man. This is a play that we saw a lot from different formations. It's one of the things I like about Mike, Mike Kafka is he can run this from several different formations. And we see that just right here. Watch. Get the football, counter. You're going to have two blocks right there. Eliminate, eliminate. Leighton Van Der Esch does a good job kind of fighting through Daniel Bellinger's block, but this is a good solid gain on first down by the New York Giants. Five-yard gain, you get to second and five. That's important to start the game like this against a very aggressive team. And I thought it was a good read by Saquon Barkley as well to get vertical back inside that gap instead of try to bounce that outside. That turned it into a you know chain-moving five-yard gain. Put them ahead of the sticks for second down. And this is something that throughout the game, the Giants really kept trying to run counter. Dallas ran counter a lot as well. Dallas really started to figure it out and started shooting and penetrating these gaps once these yeah. pullers were moving. Like once you see Mark Lewinsky pull here, you just saw Dallas Cowboys just shooting and undercutting it. And the Giants just had really no answer. And that's when Chris Collinsworth was bringing up, why are the Giants trying to pull the guard to, to kick this guy out, to, to block? some On some of those plays, it was the Giants attempting to, to run a counter type play that gets absolutely just toasted. So now you're in the second and five, and the Giants are going to run slant flat to the boundary. Daniel Jones doesn't like what he sees, but he reacted. This is one of the things I loved about Daniel Jones early in this game. He reacted to what Dallas was doing up front. Dallas is going to twist. They're going to send a four-man pass rush, and they're going to twist. Daniel Jones sees that, and he knows that he's no one to contain him at this point. So he's just going to take what the defense gives him and pick up an easy first down. And roll that back to the start of it from the from the uh, sideline angle real quick. Yeah. Yep. So take a look at how the Cowboys are lined up here pre-snap. This is the this is the second play of the game. This is the level of disrespect that we were referring to earlier in the game. It's similar to what I remember from watching that Eagles game. The Cowboys have 11 defenders on a field on the field. Literally all but three of them are on the line of scrimmage. Two that are off the line of scrimmage are within the five yard box inside the box. And there is one single high safety who's lined up 20 or yeah, 15 yards off the ball or 20 yards. Yeah, 15 yards off the ball. Sorry. So now you have eight of 11 defenders on the line of scrimmage. Two five yards within the line of scrimmage and one 15 yards off the ball. You're going to see stuff like this throughout the entire game. It's completely disrespectful to the Giants' ability to pass the football. 
It's something we saw the Eagles do with success last year. It's something you're not going to quite frankly see a lot of defenses do across the NFL. We're not going to have time for it today on this podcast, Nick, but at some point we might need to discuss why is this happening more to the Giants than any other team? A lot of teams have issues that the Giants have when it comes to, oh, are the receivers getting separation? Is there a true one? Is the offensive line blocking? But for some reason, it feels like some of these teams, man, get super uber aggressive. And it seems to me, Nick, like it's always those guys who have the most film on the Giants offense, the Eagles, the Redskins, and the Cowboys. Those are the coordinators who seem to get the most aggressive against the Giants, the most disrespectful and the most effort we're putting everyone on the line of scrimmage. Good luck. Also, the Giants formation here, since it is going to be a slant flat, it's just a quick West Coast type of concept, West Coast staple. It allows Dallas to do this because the Giants come out a lot in condensed type of formations. And when you are in a condensed formation, you can run so many more bunch rub routes and pick plays, which the Giants did attempt to employ at certain parts of this game. But when you're in this type of formation where you have someone at the top of the numbers, someone about five yards and plus splits outside the numbers, and then it's mirrored on the other side of the field, only the slot and the number two receiver to the field side is a little bit more um, towards the towards the tackle. You really can't throw any picks, and they kind of attempt to with the slant flat. You can see at the top of the screen, right. he really takes that angle. But Diggs does a good job just avoiding the contact, and you don't want Jones to throw that football where Diggs can just jump it. That would not be great at all. So I think this is actually an underrated good play by Daniel Jones to just For take sure. advantage of what the defense gave him. Realized it was man coverage. Realized there was a twist, and just run right around ninety-seven. Yep. And then they got the pen- the penalty on this, so it set up a first and 10, 15 more yards down the field. Absolutely. And that's going to set up a a screen pass. Yes, we love our our screen passes from the New York Giants. And Mark Lewinsky kind of ends up tackling Saquon Barkley on this play. It's better seen through the end zone angle. Look at Micah Parsons just slant inside. It's a screen pass, but the Giants offensive line, they're not doing their best to block. But I'm sorry, you know that Evan Neal didn't want this to happen. This is a vertical set from Evan Neal. And Micah Parsons, is so that's so quick. That's so absolutely quick. Get your hands on the guy. Hey, get your hands on the guy. I'm not sure if Neil saw 97 taking this direct path and thought there would be some sort of trade-off, but I'm just examining Evan Neal's feet. It's at this point where he realizes that Micah Parsons is going to go through that B-gap, and he just takes that step back. He doesn't make any contact, and then Micah Parsons in the backfield, and Parsons just moves different, man. This guy is so explosive, so smooth, so twitchy, so bendy, and he's right in Daniel Jones's face. Jones somehow still completes the pass, Dan, but it doesn't even matter as Mark Lewinsky kind of ends up tackling him, and Dallas was there to kind of corral him, too. It was very interesting to, to track Evan Neal's uh, feet. That was a great observation, Nick, just tracking his feet as Parsons comes through on that pass rush. He takes a step back. He's off balance, completely closed stance, tries to open up his stance, but takes a step back backwards is late with his hands and doesn't do anything really to redirect the pass rusher. And I think there were several plays and we might go over some of them later when we're, when we're going over the pressures where the, the twist, it's a wide twist because you have a four technique over the top of Andrew Thomas. And he's basically going to take a direct path at, or Andrew Thomas, I meant Evan Neal, a direct path at Evan Neal. And then Micah Parsons is going to slant in front of him. And I'm wondering if that caused some sort of mental lapse with the right side of the line. Like, are we passing these guys off or what exactly are we doing? Because this is so efficient. That's such a smooth execution. And it's also just a lot right in front of Andrew Thomas's face. Cause you have the wide defender slanting inside and you also have someone directly over the top of you running right at you. And Mark Lewinsky engages him and he can't really frame that block because of the positioning. And also because Mark Lewinsky was just really bad in pass protection this entire time, but this was a screen pass. So to him, he's just like, let me hold him off long enough to not hit Daniel Jones. And then I'll get out in space to help Saquon Barkley. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, Dallas kind of read it. 
Yeah, giant screen woes continue. Sets up the second down situation for the Giants. Yeah, this is just a nice little run by Saquon Barkley. So this is um a nine-yard rush, actually. We have a condensed 12 personnel with a stack. Daniel Bellinger kind of motions from Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Layton sets right behind Darren Waller. So now you have 12 personnel, both the tight ends to this side. The Giants are just going to run inside zone, split zone with Daniel Bellinger coming across formation. And look at the push the Giants get on the line of scrimmage. And this is like at the time, and Chris Collinsworth was talking about it on the broadcast, and I was like, holy shit, the Giants are really running the football down the Cowboys' throat. Yep. Like, look at those double-team blocks just vertically displace both of these players. This Bredesen, was the block I was talking about with JMS, by the way. That's an excellent block by JMS. And then he positions himself on this defensive back, oh, and the defensive wow. back is sealed away. That's textbook right there by JMS to help Mark Lewinsky out. Just a beautiful... Beautiful blocking from the New York Giants and nine-yard rush. We just didn't get to see enough of that. That brings up a third right. and one, and I love this. This is T formation, Dan. Yeah. T formation. You know, this is stuff that some high school teams run. You have big personnel in here with Matt Pear as a tight end, and then you have two running backs on the football field with Gary Brightwell and Daniel Bellinger in the backfield, and they just run right off tackle right between Evan Neal and Matt Pear. You can see it from the end zone angle. Saquon Barkley takes it. Daniel Bellinger, good block, good contact. Explodes through the hole. That's a good play by whoever that safety was. This could have been a much bigger run if that safety doesn't make this tackle. That could have possibly been housed. I'm not sure if 30 would have been able to track him down. What do you think? Um, I don't. I was thinking when I watched this from the other angle, I was like, did this have a chance to be housed? I think that the angle that Barkley has to get through that hole probably yeah, uh, prevents him from. I think if he had a little bit more of an opportunity to get vertical and not have to stay so horizontal, like if, if the hole was a little bit earlier, I think he could have yeah. done it, but it's close. I, I I can definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah. I like this play though. I like the play design. Maybe the giants are going to show more of this in week two. They didn't really have to a little bit later because it was so bad that that sets up a first and 10 play another motion to remove the defender to give the giants blocking run blocking one less player to, to worry about. It's one thing I like about Mike Kafka. He does this to set up the pass. He does it to set up the run. You take Paris Campbell from a split back. We knew they were going to use Paris Campbell in this type of manner. They're going to expand that apex defender. Now you have one less defender to worry about. The Giants are just going to run GT counter where they're going to pull the backside guard and the backside tackle to Matt Breida. And Matt Breida does a really good job here, in my opinion, getting skinny through this hole because Dallas does a good job fitting the run. And there's not a lot of space there. Look at Matt Breida explode through that hole. That's a very nice run by Matt Breida. Definitely a strong run by Brita. And that one push too from Evan Neal. And this is the stuff that you want to see. Like, look at Evan Neal. If we're going to bash the guy, rightfully so, I want to give him some credit when he does something well. Him and Mark Lewinsky bully this player off the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure who that is exactly. That's a good double team block, though, to set up the GT counter. Yeah. And, and look, Evan Neal has been a better run blocker than pass blocker at this point in his career. We've seen more flashes there and we've seen less bad there. And that, I'm happy you pointed out a good play here. It sets up a second and four here where the Giants actually go into 11 personnel in the pistol. That was something we discussed a little bit uh, this preseason, Nick, because we didn't see too much of it last year. And we're probably going to see a lot more pistol this year, or at least some more pistol this year. And so it's going to be interesting to watch how that how that goes down with the Giants and how often they use it here. Um, this was one of those examples I was talking about where, and there's so many of them, Nick, but where the wide receiver wins are out because everybody was like asking me, like, did the wide receivers get any separation? How were the route combinations? Was it all on that? Or, I mean, should we be putting more blame on that? I feel like there were a lot of wins 
from the route combination standpoints. And this was an example of Waller winning his route really easy on this one. I loved this rep from Darren Waller. I don't mind the scramble from Dan from Daniel Jones here. And I know you pointed out, Nick, that, you know, if he had identified the blitz and blitz or pre-snap, he might have been able to get it out to Matt Breed on the flare route. And then the Cowboys had a linebacker coming from all the way across the line of scrimmage, yep. like on the other side. And now he would have never tracked down Matt Breed. So there were other options, but it is good to know that Jones can still turn this into an 11 yard gain, even after, you know, not, not having time to hit Waller on that play. And what does this play remind you of? This is the first play against the Carolina Panthers when the 10 play drives, 10 play, 75 yard touchdown drive in preseason. It's the same play motion Waller to a stack. He runs directly behind Darius Slayton. Now you're judging number one, this defender. What is this defender going to do? This defender sits inside. So then Darren Waller, what does he do? He takes a little step outside to further sell it, to further create hesitation. Watch number one kind of bite down just ever so slightly gets his feet Outside the numbers, now Darren Waller cleanly wins inside. I, I had no issue with Waller's game. I know he didn't produce because the Giants suffered on Waller. Exactly. Like Waller, I'm, I'm fine with Waller. If you have him in fantasy, hold on to him. Hopefully yes. he stays healthy, knock on wood. But I had no issue with Waller in this game. Well, hold on to him as long as Andrew Thomas is healthy and as long as Evan Neal can take somewhat of a step forward and they can get something more at a right guard. Because I'm getting some weird – you know, man, I talked about this in fantasy last year, Nick. I sold on all my chargers after Slater went down and they had that slew of injuries on their own line because I said they won't have a traditional drop back passing game the entire year. Everyone blames it on Joe Lombardi and just thinks it's all coordinator. I guarantee you a lot of that had to do with the fact that they didn't trust their pass protection. If that happens to the Giants, it will unfortunately derail Waller's fantasy season and our season. So we just have to hope that doesn't happen. And Andrew Thomas is, is fine and healthy, I guess. And Evan Neal can, and Glowinski or whoever plays right guard can step forward because that is why Waller didn't have a big fantasy game. He didn't play in the second half. That was part of it. But a lot of it was they didn't trust their old line in this game. We have, uh, what is this, 12 personnel pistol, jet motion. Yeah. So you have the jet motion. You know the Giants love to run this. Sometimes they're going to give it to the jet motioning player if the defense reacts a certain way. Here they just hand the football off to Saquon Barkley with pulling Ben Bredesen on the backside to kick out. Unfortunately, Dallas does a good job kind of clogging this hole. I think this was actually going, this is a counter run. Cause if you look at Daniel Bellinger, this is going to be the same type of run only ran out of pistol. Again, one of the reasons why I like how the giants can diversify their rushing attack. It's going to be counter. You have the pulling backside guard and Daniel Bellinger is pulling, but Daniel Bellinger gets picked because JMS, and this is Bobby Johnson and the giants trusting John Michael Schmitz a lot. JMS is tasked to block this three technique. That's a far away. He has to block down on this three technique to allow Ben Bredesen, who was covered by that three technique, because it's somewhat of a two technique, but you could say shaded on the outside shoulder to cover him. He has to cover a lot of ground to make that block, but that's good penetration. And he picks Daniel Bellinger off. So Daniel Bellinger is eliminated. So now you just have no lead blocker for Saquon Barkley, who ends up running in to number 30, who is not blocked because Daniel Bellinger is not there to pick him up. So that's just good play by the Dallas Cowboys to blow up one of the Giants counter runs. Giants tried a lot of counter in this game. They tried a lot of counter last year as well. Yeah. And this is one of those two plays. You mentioned the earlier one where Barkley got kind of pulled down from the, from the shoe strings and almost had a touchdown. This one, I felt like if, if he almost tried, he, I tried to execute that spin. And if he executes maybe a half second sooner, he might be able to crease that over the left side. Diggs is there, but I've seen him win that one-on-one -on -one before. There were a few plays like that. You'll see also on the false start in a few minutes where the Giants would have had a touchdown if they didn't call a false start. And again, I feel like that was yep. only called the false start because of that Chiefs game on Thursday night football. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment. I 100% agree with that, by the way. And now Daniel Jones again takes advantage of Dallas, leaving that B gap wide open. Yep. And he just takes what's there. Gets just get down, Daniel. Don't take any unnecessary hits. We look at the route concept. 
start 12 personnel. Giants had a lot of 12 personnel in this game, which really is not a surprise. Double Y set. I was wondering if they were going to run two vertical routes right here. It looks like they were just going to run a quick, uh, a quick little like snag by Darren Waller with a vertical from Daniel Bellinger. It gets absolutely tied up. I think Daniel Jones makes a good decision here. It's either that, or you're going to throw the football quickly to Paris Campbell, but you have this center field safety. You could drive down. So Daniel Jones just sees green grass, take the green grass, Daniel Jones and get down, put your offense in a position to possibly put points on the board. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company, 
and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connected us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash Blue Wire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the GameTime app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the GameTime app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download GameTime today. And we'll move forward to the, to the play after that. After this one, we can show it from this angle. Just a nice decision by Jones again to run through the B gap. Look what's going on, on the right side, though. This is just kind of tells you what's to come. Watch the player against Mark Lewinsky. This four-eye technique. Violent club. Violent club of the outside arm. Freezes Mark Lewinsky. Feet stay inside. He gets to the half man, shoulder to shoulder, bends through, and he's just in. So if Daniel Jones did stay in the pocket, it would have been very precarious for him. Yeah, he made the right decision to get out of there early. And that sets up the third and two. This was the false start. We'll show you what we were talking about at the bottom of your screen with Darren Waller. Uh, oh, a yeah. nice natural pick route from the Giants. Um, now, again, well, the corner obviously is stopping because the play was blown dead. But he's going to have so much trouble, in my opinion, getting back across to try to make a play on that football. And yes, there's a second level defender who's in the passing lane, but all Jones has to do is throw that up for a six foot six Darren Waller, and he's going to soar, make the catch. The defender won't get there in time. It's pretty much an easy pitch and catch touchdown. If of course there is no false start. Yeah, this is this is a touchdown. If it wasn't a false start, I agree with you. I didn't. I thought maybe like it's it's very tough. If we're slowing it down for the people listening on the podcast, it's very tough to tell if Andrew Thomas did false start. It might have been 
know, very, very subtle, but they, they called it after the Thursday night game where it became the talk of Twitter. And think of how much spiraled after that, because the next play was a bad snap. Jones has to just fall on it, sets up a, you know, near 50 yard field goal instead of an easy chip shot. And what happens? Block field goal, return for a touchdown. Andrew Thomas gets hurt, hurt on the play. Just insane string of events. Yeah, that's um, Murphy's law, man. Everything went wrong. And now we're going to go over some of the negative plays by Daniel Jones. This is the second and 19 play before the third and 19 interception. And I just wanted to highlight what's going on on the top of the screen. And it'll make a little bit more sense when we go over the third and 19 play because the Dallas Cowboys are playing two trap, Tampa two trap, whatever you want to call it, cut technique and save the knees. If you look at the top of the screen, this is Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs is a pattern matching type of concept where they're playing cover two. So you're going to have two guys high. Trayvon Diggs is going to cut anything that is to the flat. So he's taking two to the flat, which is going to be Saquon Barkley on this second and 19. You can see him do that. He allows this player to pass to the inside, passing him off to the safety. And he just sits and squats right down on Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones just ends up running out of this play a little bit. They didn't really have much just threw the ball away, but I wanted to highlight what they did on second and 19. And they're going to come back and they're going to do the exact same thing on third and 19. And I know a lot of people don't want to blame Daniel Jones or anything. Look, if Daniel Jones makes a mistake, you should be able to blame him. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean that this loss is all on Daniel Jones. Absolutely not. Daniel Jones had very little help from his offensive line and from really his coaches. You can, you can really assign blame anywhere, but on the very next play, the Giants did the same exact thing. And I think this is an issue, Dan, because we talked about it a lot last year. The Colts did this to Daniel yep. Jones. Washington did this to Daniel Jones. For some reason, Ed Donatel did not do this to Daniel yep. Jones. But whenever you're in a third and long situation, and especially a second and long two, the Giants or the, the team the Giants are going up against, they're going to play these type of trap techniques because they know the Giants like these little quick hitting passes to set them up into third and manageable situations. And here's the third down play. Now you have an outside release, but what does Trayvon Diggs do? Nothing about Trayvon Diggs says that he's sinking to depth. He is eyes directly on the two to the flat. It's the same exact technique that we saw on the second and 19. And Daniel Jones puts the football right into Saquon Barkley, gets popped up in the air and ends up being a pick six. A lot of people blame Saquon Barkley. I totally get it. You know, it hits you in the hands, but this is also on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones needs to not throw this football when you have a, a player squatting right there, eyeing the number two. This is exactly what... Dan Quinn wanted Daniel Jones to do right. and Daniel Jones did it. You broke that down so well, Nick. I hate that you're forced to qualify things by saying it doesn't make you a Jones hater. I just wish people had a little more rationality when listening to analysis and could understand that. It seems like they're able to apply that rationality to every other player on the roster, but the same people are unable to apply it to Daniel Jones. But unfortunately, that leads to you having to qualify it. But look, if you ask Daniel Jones, and I've said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again here, if you ask Daniel Jones, if you ask any coach on the Giants, they will both tell you that they don't like this decision that he made. He himself will tell you this after watching the tape because look how open that Giants wide receiver is at the top of your screen and also look at the cornerback, look at his leverage before the snap, look at how his feet are right after the snap, and in no way, shape, or form should you be throwing a ball that leads the running back into that person tackling you. Yes, you can decide if you wanted to blame Saquon Barkley. You guys know how I feel on that. When I when a pass is thrown to a receiver or running back and he's forced to catch the ball, immediately turn, and there's a hit on him, I don't blame it on that player. That's me. I don't care. He's getting blindsided with the hit, essentially. He's flipping his body around. The ball should never be led into that spot. That's the reality of the situation. Again, Jones would tell you that. The coach would tell you that. But the scarier thing here is, 
you have to be able to recognize this stuff post snap because otherwise, like Indy did to the Giants, like Washington did to the Giants, like Dallas did here, teams are just going to keep doing it until you make them pay for it. And that's the problem here. And it is what it is. Look, it's one play. Jones is getting rattled by this point. There's pressure all game. There's even pressure on this play. There's reasons for this. If the pocket was clean, I think Jones would honestly have the ability to make that throw to the outside. I really do believe that, Nick. I think part of it is that he was rushed. But regardless, things are never going to be perfect for the quarterback. And you still need to find a way to get rid of the football to the right spots. And you still need to find a way to process post-snap what these corners are doing and adjust to that because that's the game. That's what determines if you're going to be a top five quarterback who consistently compete for Super Bowls or if you're not. 100%, Dan. You nailed that. And uh, this is like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, this player needs this much blame. But if you had to assign blame to someone, it's more on Daniel Jones, in my opinion, for putting Saquon Barkley in that situation. And you know how I feel about players getting their hands on the football. It doesn't mean he still shouldn't have caught it, but you're you're putting your guy into a spot where he's going to get his ass kicked, essentially. It's not a great look. It's like Peyton Manning to Austin Collie back in the day, if you remember those. That was scary. (laughs) Plus, not to mention, I mean, you're talking about a player in Saquon Barkley who is one of the best ball security running backs in the entire NFL. What does that tell you right there, right? Can you guys qualify and understand and factor in that context that he's a guy who doesn't put the ball on the ground a lot? So if he is putting the ball on the ground a lot, maybe the situation kind of sucked for him, as in he's catching the ball, turning, and immediately getting popped right on the football. Exactly. And now we're going to have the other interception, which this is this is the other this is the play I was mentioning before. Yeah, this is bad. This is bad by Daniel Jones for several reasons. It's bad by Daniel Jones. And again, not just knocking Daniel Jones, but just going to tell like it is. This is rookie Daniel Jones mistakes. He mentioned it in the post game. He's like, hey, this I, I can't do that. I can't put the football. I should just throw it away. He knows you, you can't do this. He was trying to make a play, trying to do too much. His team was down a lot, but he put the football into a really bad spot on a first and 10 play. It's, it's never going to be a good situation. But what was maybe even more problematic to me from a coaching perspective, they motion Saquon Barkley stacked inside of Darren Waller. Now he goes right behind Darren Waller. Darren Waller creates a wall for Saquon Barkley. You can't really see it here, but now you can. Darren Waller creates this wall for Saquon Barkley, and this player cannot get over the top to get Saquon Barkley, and this player is focused on Darren Waller. And look how wide open Saquon Barkley is. He's just wide open, and Daniel Jones doesn't throw that football. He doesn't throw that football until it's way too late. And I think one of the reasons why Daniel Jones held on to it was because he saw the twist from the Dallas Cowboys and said, oh, I can do the same thing I've been doing this entire time. Let me roll out. Right now, that football needs to be out on Saquon Barkley. It's probably going to be an eight, nine-yard gain, set you up in a second-and-one situation. But instead, he doesn't throw the football or he doesn't throw the football until the end. He doesn't run it either to really pick up a lot of yards. He tries to get really cute and ends up throwing an interception. Yeah, exactly. And part of the issue here, this is one of those four or five, six plays I talked about at the beginning of the podcast where the route combination was great, to be completely honest. The play design and play call was great by Mike Kafka. Look yep. how open he got a wide receiver. And yet what we're turning what should be a wide open, easy play to a wide receiver into an interception and a turnover on a first and 10. And I don't blame this one as much on Jones personally, Nick, because I just feel like the pressure here is in his face and he lose and John Michael Schmitz loses this rep. Um, and there's just, and there's just, you know, now it doesn't mean I don't blame him for rolling to the sideline and deciding to throw across his body yeah. back into the field of play. As he mentioned himself in the post game presser and dear God, I hope those people who call us haters, <laughs> whenever we, uh, and anal- analyze Daniel Jones can at least, at least dear God, not consider it a hater if Daniel Jones himself admits, admits it in the post game. So please go ahead if you're one of those people, go listen to that post game because it's really starting to annoy me. 
But um, yeah, but he yeah, thought. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he but thought Darren Waller was going to continue this. That's what he thought. Right? Yeah. And Darren Waller stopped, and that's just like a miscommunication. But don't even put the football into that situation. Is what Daniel Jones said after the game. Yeah. I would blame though Daniel Jones for for not getting the football out right here. Right. Now he saw that guy looping around, but that's. That's schemed up perfectly by Mike Kafka against man coverage and the miscommunication that the Giants wanted ended up happening and Daniel Jones just didn't pull the trigger. And you can rewind it back real quick. Yeah. To that point, let's go stop. Right. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Stop. So or a little bit earlier, but it's okay. So anyway, you can see how quickly Barkley creates that separation and is open. Philip Rivers made a career by standing in that pocket, anticipating when people are open and throwing with anticipation. He would take that hit. And Daniel Jones is not scared to take a hit. Later in the game, I'm going to show a play on a third and one where he took a massive hit and got the ball out for, for a catch. I feel like almost at this point, Nick, Jones was just a little bit rattled by the consistent pressure and in some ways anticipating the pressure. Because if he just plants his foot, uh, feet, grounds himself, he's going to have to take a massive hit, but gets the ball out from the pocket. He'll get it onto Barkley there. And Barkley could then even take it for a you know big post-catch game there. But instead, he tries to roll out, make a play on the run. And obviously, at that point, it didn't work out. Just being a little bit too indecisive with the football, but it's going to happen, especially after you have been getting your ass kicked the entire game. Yep, exactly. Nick, do you have any other plays you want to throw up there, or do you want me to? I, I got a few I want to throw in. Should I share the plays of Evan Neal and Mark Lewinsky getting their asses kicked? We're not. We, we don't have to break them down, but we can run them if, we if can you run want. Them. Yeah, Let's we'll run, run them. them. Look, it's it's gross. It's disgusting. We're not doing it to kick these guys while they're down, but they're professional athletes. We cover this football team. And you can just see that there's no continuity between these two players right now and their ability to really hold up at the point of attack or execute simple twists and stunts, as we'll see. This is the one play against Dorrance Armstrong with, with Evan Neal. Like, look at his feet, man. His feet just don't come with him. He's just lunging. And there's such an easy path right here for Armstrong to just bend right through and into the pocket. Like, Daniel Jones has no chance on plays like this. When we talked about Nick, what we loved about Rashawn Slater when we watched his tape and what we liked about Charles Cross when we liked when we watched his tape, what did we talk about a lot? The feet, right? We talked about yeah. the footwork. For me, I've said it before in the past during draft season, I'll say it again. Footwork is non-negotiable. For me, when I'm looking for how to try to project, you know, offensive line moving forward, it's all about the feet. And I got to be honest with you, dude, watching this Evan Neal tape against the Cowboys, there were too many examples of where his feet were just all over the place and completely out of place. And he's off balance or he has an open stance. So and slow too, and man. Just so yeah, slow. That's the speed rush I was talking about earlier. Where he's just so slow to get around. And it's just, it's crazy how slow that lower half moves, how slow he moves overall, man. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a stressing at this time. Like this is like this looks to like he has help from Saquon Barkley here and Daniel Bellinger. So he has so much help on this side and watch the rep. He just kind of latches on, falls off Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons still gets pressure and the Giants get a one yard catch to Daniel Bellinger. And Neil he had help from ground. I know he has help from both his tight end and his running back. Like if I was, if we covered the Cowboys, we would be posting this on Twitter. Like, look how great a liberal 11 is. Like this is terrible on the Giants protection. It is, and it makes it hard to even assess any. This is why I understand why the Jones people say, like, you can't put any blame when you see a rep like that. If that was every rep, of course. Um, and it's like, man, oh, man, I just, I, you know, some people have talked to me, Nick, this week and said, like, okay, the main thing the Giants have to do next week is 
bring someone over to chip and help Evan Neal on every play. Well, now you just put up an example where they tried to do that and the play still blew up. And when you do do that, it's not like an easy solution. When you do that, you take these people out of the play as receivers and you really limit what you can do in the passing game. So it's not that easy of a solution, especially when, like you said, and just showed in that clip, Nick, even with help with chipping and with Barkley in the backfield, Neal still falls on the ground and gives up the pressure. I'll tell you one thing though. You say what you want about Daniel Jones. That is one tough SOB. That guy was standing in the pocket getting his ass kicked because the right side of his line was just abysmal yesterday. He was. All right, I'm going to throw up a couple clips I want to go over real quick, Nick, with you, and we'll, and we'll discuss them real quick. Obviously, as those of you know, Nick is usually one uh, with the technology, so we're going to have to see if this works, but I think it will work, Nick. And I'm going to start here. Tell me if you see this screen right now, Nick. Do you see what I'm showing? We see it. Okay, here we go. This is the third and two. I just want to show this play real quick, Nick. This is what I was talking about from how the Cowboys played the Giants earlier, how disrespectful they played them. You're you're facing a third and two situation, right? The Giants have a look here. Yes, it's tight and condensed, but they, they run that a lot. You should be defaulting to this could be a pass, right? Like as any defense versus an offense, the thought should be it's third down. They're in the gun. This should be a pass. Look how little respect the Cowboys pay for the play up. Uh, pay to the pass here with 14 and with 33. Look at how these guys play this play. It doesn't even look like they considered it to be a pass. They're just driving down every gap and boom, there you go. A play where third and two, a big chance for the Giants to convert, turns into what? An opportunity where they have to punt and they lose out on that. So I wanted to show that one. I want to show this third and 10 from the second drive. It's another there was a couple. There was a couple design quarterback runs. That was a quarterback power to the outside where you just had really aggressive Dallas Cowboys shooting gaps. They also ran a bash concept, which was just basically quarterback power through like the a gap with the back running away uh, to the other side. And I was like, Oh shit, bash concept. You got T formations. You got quarterback power. Yeah, interesting year. It just didn't really see much of it in week one. No, and I, I honestly, quite frankly, would wish they didn't run that as much once they got down. I don't need quarterback design runs when Daniel Jones is, when you're down 26 nothing, that could get your guy hurt. But I digress on that front. Let me share another play here, Nick. This was another missed, because that was a missed opportunity, right? Third and two, they could keep that drive going. It might be a game. Here, we're going to be looking at a third and 10 situation where the Giants had another opportunity, in my opinion, as we run this play, but the pressure broke this play down. Uh, we're running it through third and 10 here. Pressure immediately on Daniel Jones from Micah Parsons. But look at what he would have had if they were able to protect. Darren Waller open on a deep crosser here right at the sticks. Would have kept the drive going. These two linebackers, I, I don't know if you're seeing my, my, my mouse. You probably aren't. These two, yeah, linebackers, no, okay. These two linebackers in the middle are confused. And here you go. That's an opportunity right there to hit Darren Waller to keep the drive going. Instead, it's another punt. So that's two Go back straight. a little. Go back a little bit. Oh, you already exited out. No, I can get I back. Gonna... Okay, yeah, we'll get back into it for a second because I love how the routes manipulate the coverage to allow that dig to come open. And that ends up what happening with the Saquon Barkley releasing into the middle of the field to occupy those middle linebackers that you were discussing and also with Daniel Bellinger who chips and releases. So you're going to have Daniel Bellinger who's going to chip and release out this way. You have Darren Waller running this dig. You had that safety drop down, as you saw. The safety drops down. Now you have two. They're playing a fiddle technique on Saquon Barkley. A fiddle technique means if Saquon Barkley goes this way, this player takes it. If Saquon Barkley goes that way, that player takes it. Regardless of the fact, though, what does that do? You remove both of these defenders through this, and then once Daniel Bellinger comes this way, this player is going to drive down on that. And now what do you have, Dan? You have a wide open area for Darren Waller. It's just a Giants, unfortunately, like basically the entire game, could not protect Daniel Jones long enough for him to find number 12 out there. 
and that's a third and 10. And it's the best route Daniel Jones throws in his arsenal. That deep dig over the middle, he would drill that thing in there. He doesn't even have to get that over a second level. Usually he does. And between the third level, and he's able to do that. This would have been an easy, clear conversion for the Giants. But the pass protection completely breaks down. Micah Parson gets through the A-gap, which just, it was amazing to me how often he got through the A-gap. Nick, it just, that yeah, should not happen that much. That's just not supposed to happen as often as it did. All right, let me get into a couple more here. Um Let's just throw this one up. This is a good one. Unfortunately, this has been such a this has been such a like negative podcast, Nick. I don't think by choice, just by the fact that well, the Giants lost thirty to nothing. What the hell else are we forty to nothing? Forty to nothing. Sorry. What the hell else are we supposed to do? But I thought this was a really good place. I wanted to share it. This was a really really gutsy throw. I thought from Jones on a third and one where the Giants needed it. I'll run this through a quick. There doesn't need to be too much analysis from me, but Nick, if you want to get in, sure, feel free to. He knows he's taking a hit there, and he gets the ball out anyway to Darren Waller for the conversion. So I just thought that was a really gutsy throw from Jones. Yeah, I mean, you have to get the ball out at that point. You have a blitz screaming off towards that side. You have that play specifically designed to Darren Waller with someone who has inside leverage way to the inside. There's no one outside. That's an easy pitch and catch if there wasn't someone right in Daniel Jones's face, but Jones has those cojones to stand in there and deliver the football. So I appreciate that about Jones. That's something that you'll never hear us question is the cojones that this dude has under pressure. And once again, Nick, by the way, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. Look at the level of disrespect the Cowboys are paying to the Giants pre-snap. Again, Every single one of their 11 defenders are within five yards, essentially six yards of the line of scrimmage, except for one single high safety who's only lined up 15 to 20 yards off the ball. I mean, this was consistent. This is third and one. There are multiple receivers on the field. A good team might take a shot downfield and go for the touchdown. The Giants certainly needed a touchdown at this point. Cowboys don't care. They pay no respect to it. They're not worried at all about getting beat in any kind of way downfield. They expect everything to be at the sticks, everything to be uh, focused on converting. And, you know, they converted this one the giants but it's just when that happens every single play it just makes it really tough to win in my opinion um it's the same it's the same game plan that philadelphia had it was just we're going to keep right. everything from the, the line of scrimmage to the five yard line because you're not going to beat us deep and we don't trust you to beat us deep that's exactly. exactly what happened everyone's driving down on these short concepts there's no space for the wide receivers to breathe they're getting jammed at the line of scrimmage the routes are being disrupted and it didn't matter because the giants couldn't even get the football to them if those routes weren't disrupted because there was micah parsons in daniel jones's face on a four-man pressure you couldn't block four men with six seven guys sometimes yes embarrassing that was exactly right remember we talked in the preseason about how excited we were when the giants ran four pass rushers and isaiah simmons got around and he made that sack against the running back and the jets had seven guys in pass pro too almost they, sacked, the, what oh almost sack sorry he forced rogers yeah. out now the giants were that team everything we celebrated from that was flipped on our heads and you know yeah. put on us all right i want to show two more plays and then we're going to get out of here just because these ones bothered me and i want you guys to see what happened when it happened and why, in my opinion, it was a poor decision from Brian Dable and the entire Giants coach staff. So I don't just think it's him. It's whoever goes into it. It's the medical staff. It's it's just anyone making this decision. So here's the play where Andrew Thomas got hurt. This was off the interception return. Or no, sorry. This is the play following where Andrew Thomas got hurt on the kickoff return. Here's the next series where uh, the Giants throw the pick six. Just focus over here on 78 and how he tries to make the play to make the tackle so it's not returned for a touchdown. Here's Thomas. He's giving it his all. He's giving it his all. He's running. He falls to the ground. Look how hurt he looks, guys. Look how freaking hurt he looks. How the 
F do you put that guy back on the field when he's moving like that? He's your franchise left tackle. He's your second most important player. He just signed a big contract. He's everything to your season. This game is at this point not over yet, but it's going to be over soon when it gets to 26-0. And at that point is my opinion where he should have been pulled for sure. But that's that. Now let me show you another play that really bothered me looking at Andrew Thomas. And this is one, Nick, where both Thomas and John Michael Schmitz ended up on the ground on this one. And again, as I discussed earlier, it was very rare last season, very, very rare, where you would see Andrew Thomas on the ground on any play, let alone how many times you saw him on the ground in this one. So here's just take a look at this run play. The Cowboys blew up for a minus two. You got Thomas on the ground, but and, and you got, uh, I think, John Michael Schmitz missed this block. But look at Thomas as he gets up here. Look how hurt he looks there. I mean, come on, coaching staff. What are we doing here? Look at him getting up gingerly and then hopping hopping on his bad hamstring. How the hell do you put a guy like that back into the game, man? It's just crazy to me. I don't understand it. I wanted to share it with you guys so you guys didn't think I was crazy and you could see what I saw. But um, yeah, that, that that's kind of what I want to point out, Nick. Any thoughts on any of that? No, I think you were spot on. I don't think Andrew Thomas should have been out there for as long as he should. I don't think Daniel Jones should have been out there for as long as he should, but it was the way it was. Now we have something to really monitor with Brian Dable. Like right. you said on yesterday's podcast, he did this last year with the Dory Jackson. And then afterwards he was like, no, that's what we do as football. So like he has that kind of football type of mentality and sometimes it's going to work out for you. And other times it's going to lead to frustrating instances like that. So I don't really have too much to add to that, but in terms of just the overall game before we yeah. get out of here, Dan, you have to take what you can and learn from this, internalize it. It humbled you. Absolutely. Maybe put a chip on your shoulder, go back to the grindstone, forget about it, move on. Don't forget about it in the sense that you can't, you have to always know that that's possible that that happened. Remember how low that you fell afterwards, but you can't let it plague you heading into Arizona because the Giants right now, Dan, they have a two game road stand where they're staying out West on a short week, mind you, because they're going to play against Arizona. And then you have to play Thursday night football against San Francisco. So you have to put that behind focus on Arizona and move on. That's I think Brian Dable said as much in today's press conference after the game, the giants really need to listen and hear that. And I think they're coached enough in the culture of this locker room would adhere to something like that because they don't seem like the type of players who get high when they do win as well. Yeah, that's a great point. If they don't get too high when they win, hopefully they don't get too low when they lost. Thank you to everyone tuning into Big Blue Bander podcast. We got a lot more content coming at you this week. Those live post-game shows will continue. And at some point, we're going to start mixing in some live Q&As during the week. That may happen later, oh, yeah. a little bit uh, more in the midseason. This week, we also are going to have an interview and a guest from Arizona Cardinal size to preview the game. We're also going to have a defensive film breakdown. That'll come to you tomorrow. And then obviously game day. So keep it locked and loaded. Please like and subscribe. Please set up auto download. Please help us grow the show by doing those things. Commenting, liking, subscribing. Otherwise, great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.